If everybody could please find your seat, please find your hymn books, and please turn with me to 523. Victory in Jesus. 523. We're all standing together. Please and thank you. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll sing up there the song of victory. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, Mr. Cerny, would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for this time to come and worship you, Lord. Uh, just pray that you would uh, be with the service this morning. Just help us bring honor and glory to you, Lord, and be with the preacher as he preaches. And give us the, the word from you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Please stay standing with me and please turn your hymn books to 133. Please and thank you. 
special music, um, and I'm thankful that these ladies could come and be a part of our service today, and uh, just be a blessing to our church family. So I'm going to have them come. They're going to sing a few songs. We'll do. Um, we will do a couple more announcements. Take up an offering, which we will include a love offering in that for these ladies. For what we're going to do, we'll do it. So we'll take up a love offering for them as well, and then they'll sing a couple more songs before the message. And are those your CDs I see back there on the back? Okay, so they do have some CDs out as well. $10 per CD if, you're, if you'd like to get one. I'd encourage you to. It's good, godly music. We have one in our vehicle. Um, I think we have a couple of them in a couple of vehicles. But uh, I'd encourage you to get one and listen to it. It's just a blessing. Good, godly music sung by some good, godly ladies. So thankful for that. But you... Come on up and sing for us.
considered having them sing the second to last one again, and then they sang the last one, and I thought, man, that was one right <laughs> So I might have you sing one of those ones again later, but that was a blessing. Absolutely. And thankfully, God has been good. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he saved me. chapter number one, and then we will get into chapter two next week, and probably we'll get through that another six months or so. won't be six months. I don't know. No promises. We'll get through it when we get through it. But in Ephesians chapter one, we've been working our way through, kind of methodically, slowly, um, covering it piece by piece, and last week... I covered really uh, verses 15 through 23. We're going to read them again this morning for context's sake. And I'll touch on uh, verses uh, 15 to 19, but really 20 through 23 is going to be our focus this morning. And I think the songs actually work out well. It's fitting. So why don't we stand together out of respect for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in verse number 15, and we'll read down through 23. I'll pray, and then after that we'll be seated. It says, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. And that put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for the uh, already what you've done and uh, speak for myself and my heart this morning. Your Sunday school, the morning time, the songs, Lord, that the ladies have sung. Um, it has really blessed my heart, and I pray others as well. Um, I'm asking you, Lord, to work in the midst of uh, this message. I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would shine forth, that your word would shine forth, and that as I do my best to share what it is that you have for us out of this text, I pray ultimately, Lord, that it would be you who speaks to our hearts what you want us to understand from this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we just want you to be exalted and magnified and glorified in all that we say and do. And I pray you would help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed on you, to focus on you and what it is that you have for us from your word today. Lord, we ask these things and pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. To avoid sniffling the whole All right, I'll do my best. Keep it 
the rest of the morning. But no promises. So, uh, it's fitting, uh, the lady sang some about Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. And our text deals with, it focuses more on the resurrection, but we wouldn't have the resurrection if there wasn't first a crucifixion, right? If Christ didn't first die. So, it works out. It's Memorial Day weekend, unplanned, but we remember the sacrifice that soldiers made for us as Americans. But this morning, even more importantly than any soldier who lost his life, not to take away from that sacrifice, not to take away from what they did for us, but we have so much more through the sacrifice that our Savior made for us on the cross of Calvary. Um, we have not only freedom from sin uh, or freedom from uh, unrealistic rules and laws like are in many countries, but we have freedom from sin. We have uh, freedom or victory, rather, over death, hell, and the grave, and we get to one day spend eternity with our Savior. So we have so much. We have What we have through our Savior is eternal, uh, not temporal, just for this life now. Um, so it's fitting. Um, we have gained through their sacrifice, obviously, but we have gained even more through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and what he did for us on the cross. So we're going to consider this passage and what has been wrought through Christ's sacrifice. We read that statement in our text. We'll look at it again here in a little bit. Um, God's power is at work in us, it tells us in verses 15 through 19. And God wants us to know about that work. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to, in all wisdom and understanding, he said, to understand or to know what it is that he has done for us and what he is doing in us and has done in us. And we're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come as we get into chapters 2 and 3. We're going to learn more about what that power means and what he has done towards us. But our text here tells us that this power has been wrought in Christ. And it tells us how it has been wrought in Christ. So we're, going to, we're going to discuss that some here in just a little bit. We'll see both this morning and in weeks to come why he is worthy of our worship and faithful service. Christ is worthy of everything that we have, right. uh, that we ought to give it for him. He wants us to know how good he has been to us, and frankly, how much we did not and do not deserve that goodness. I think that last song the lady sang was, he's been good more than I ever thought he could, uh, or should, something like that. Now I can't remember. But he has been better to us than we deserve. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't deserve his goodness. We deserve his judgment. But he has been faithful. He has been good. So it's a great point in regards to our meeting. If you remember last week, we had Brother Jeff Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and he preached on the Bible. And he demonstrated to us historically, but also biblically, why we can trust that we have God's Word in our hands or in your laps or wherever it is that you have it right now at this moment, that we can trust that we have God's Word. And if we are going to know all that he wants us to know, he had to reveal it to us, which he did. He had to... Uh, he had to inspire these words, uh, which are his revelation to us of himself and of his plans. He had to then also preserve it so that we can have it. And I believe that he did those things. And I know if you didn't before last week, prayerfully, we all do now believe that he's done those things. And with confidence, we can read his word and know that what we're reading is in fact what he wants us to know. Now that being said, sometimes there's a there's confusion with our understanding and our interpretation of it. That's not on him, that's on us to do the work and grasp it. So, 
we can be confident what we have here is in fact his word so that we can know what he wants us to know about the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power it has been wrought in Christ and we're going to see as I said this morning what that looks like wrought means worked or formed by work or labor as in as or like wrought iron iron that has been worked and made into what it is well, what Christ has done for us, or what God has done for us, has been wrought in Christ. It's through the work that was accomplished by Christ and through Christ so that we can have God's power imparted upon us. And not power as in we can do things supernatural as far as leap tall buildings in a single bound or run faster than a speeding bullet or any of those things. Sometimes I think we misapply Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It doesn't mean that if I set my mind to it, I can be the President of the United States. Not that I would ever want to be the President of the United States. But it doesn't mean that I can, I can do those things because Christ is going to strengthen me to do it. No, if we read the context of it, Paul had been through some pretty horrible things. And he had endured some pretty horrible things and he had learned how to be content through those things. And remain faithful to his Savior through those things. And God inspired those words, recording Paul's testimony. And what was learned was that he could do all things through Christ which strengthened him. How can I remain content in the situation I'm in? Well, it's through Christ which strengthened me. How can I remain faithful to him in the midst of my trials or my hardships? Through Christ which strengthened me. All right, we better move on because I'm going to get sidetracked here. All right, verse number 20. Which he wrought in Christ. That's where we're going to start. I already talked about wrought means worked or formed by work or labor. Don't lose your place in Ephesians, but flip back to Exodus chapter number 10. Exodus chapter number 10. Verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know how that I am the Lord. So the Lord uh, pardoned Pharaoh's heart in this situation. Now understand, this was plague number 8. So, 8 plagues now. Pharaoh had had opportunity, he hardened his own heart at times, and now at this point, God's hardening Pharaoh's heart in order to bring in these last few plagues, and God gives a reason as to why he is bringing in these last plagues. Well, so that they would know, so that they would understand, so that the children of Israel and the people of Egypt would know that he is the Lord. And there are times that God allows or brings things into our lives he wants us to know, to understand that he is the Lord. He's given us his word, and he brings us through things to teach us and to uh, allow us to learn both through his word and through our lives that he is the Lord. He wants to show himself uh, God. In our, in our Ephesians passage, he tells us one of the ways, or really the greatest ways, in which he has demonstrated the fact that he is God. He talks about how he was rocked 
We know that Christ had to die for our sins to be paid for. We understand that. But we also know that just Christ's death wasn't enough for us to be saved. He also had to rise from the grave. There had to be that next feast. If Christ died and stayed dead, well, then there is no victory over death. There is no victory over sin. He had to rise to claim that victory, to win that victory, which then we can, uh, we can partake in through the work that Christ has done by placing our faith in him. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You understand the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior, not just the death. And the death had to happen. That's where Christ took our sins upon himself. But the resurrection also had to happen for us to be saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, turn, turn over to this passage with me again. Don't lose your place in Ephesians. 1 Corinthians 15. That he first raised Christ from the dead. That is the beginning of how God brought that work. 
how he worked that work in us or towards us, if you will. What God did in Christ to secure our salvation did not end with his death and resurrection. Uh, we continue through our text here in this passage. Uh, verse 20 said, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. We'll continue through those here in a little bit. Acts chapter 2. Look with me. Again, keep Ephesians open. But turn over to Acts chapter number 2. I could just, some, some of this stuff I'll just read out of my notes, but I want us to see some of it for ourselves as well. Acts chapter 2, verse number 22. And there are two passages represented from uh, Psalms here. There's quotes here from Psalms. So we understand that Psalms, there are prophecies in regards to Jesus Christ, and we're going to see evidence of that here in this text. In Acts chapter 2, beginning of verse 22, it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So he's speaking to these, uh, this crowd, these likely Jews predominantly, and he's pointing this out to him. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Why was it not possible? Well, because Christ is in fact God. So it's not possible that he could be held by death, but he has risen from the dead. Then it's going to go on to tell us some of these prophecies, these Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled. For David, we understand King David penned many of the Psalms. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Who's on his right hand? Well, Christ is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we see God's word being recorded through the pen of David, through the words of David. But they're God's words that have been inspired for us out of Psalm uh, chapter 16. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, notice it's a proper name, to see corruption, speaking of Christ. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you for the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. David is dead and buried and in the ground. That's where his body is at this point in time, or in that point in time, but still at this point in time as well. Therefore, being a prophet, the Bible says David was a prophet. He spoke of future events that would take place. We just read a quote of them here in this text. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So it was through David's line, his genetic line, that Christ would be raised. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So in case you were wondering, well, is that really talking about Christ there in the book of Psalms? Well, it just told us that that's in fact what it was speaking of. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and 
For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, Jewish crowd, who crucified Christ, and is, in a sense worships David, David is dead and in the grave. And when he was speaking in Psalm chapter 16 here, and he, and he was saying these things, what, was, what he was really penning is the words of God about the Son of God, who, yes, died, you crucified him, but now he is risen from the grave, and he's sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. That's what he's telling them. He's giving them Old Testament scripture in order to demonstrate that Christ is, in fact, God, and that he did, in fact, rise, and is now not only risen, but he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. In the Gospels, Christ told them that he was the Son of God, that God was his Father. And if you remember, that was one of the big problems that the chief priests and the Pharisees had with Christ, is that he was calling himself the Son of God, and they said, You're ma he's making himself equal with God, therefore he blasphemous, they said. And he wasn't, because he is in fact God, and the scriptures declare that, and we understand because he has risen from the grave, we don't need to question, go far to question that. We don't need to question that too far. All right. I guess I'm going to go another page and get another. Okay. So it's important because Christ, in order for Christ to be our propitiation, which propitiation is only acceptable substitute. There is no other substitute for our sin. I could not pay for my own sins. Well, I could forever, for all of eternity in hell. I guess that's. But I'm never going to reach the end of that pain. It's something that I would continually be paying for for all of eternity. Or one man, God, in one could pay for my sins. Jesus Christ, he did. He did on the cross. But the victory has been offered to me not because only that he died for my sins, but also that he rose from the grave. That's what it's telling us. Verse 17, it said in our, in our Ephesians 1, it said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God has so much for us. We have inherited, he, we have an inheritance, there we go that God has for us, that he has prepared for us, that one day we will enjoy the fullness of that inheritance, but not yet. Our souls have been redeemed. Our flesh has yet to be redeemed, to be adopted. Uh, so we have these things coming in the future. One day we will rule and reign with our Savior. But in the meantime, God wants us to know all that he has done for us and all that he has for us. Right now what he's telling us is what he... What he has done for us and what he has for us is only available because of the work that has been done through Christ. That he, beginning, it says, and his exceeding greatness of his power to us were who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ. We only have these things because of the work that was done through Christ, in Christ. Christ had to be God to be our propitiation. 21 demonstrates that he's not only above all, but that he is far above all. Uh, it says, 
We'll read verse 20 again. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Christ is not just above all principalities and powers. He is far above all. We're given specifics. These principalities and powers, comparing Scripture with Scripture, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we understand that principalities and powers are, are spiritual enemies, if you will, angelic or demonic forces that be at work here on the earth. And they're working against us. Peter tells us we have an adversary. The devil who walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We have enemies working against us. So Christ is above all those enemies. We can have victory over those working against us through Christ because he has won the victory for us. He was put to death, but he didn't remain dead. You know, it's one of the biggest differences between what we believe and what many other religions believe. Muhammad's in the grave. Buddha's in the grave, so much so that they worship his a tooth and a bone, a piece of bone. And you know, frankly, some people who would claim some connection to Christianity, uh, I, I believe there are there are Catholic churches in other parts of the world that have uh, the the casket or tomb or whatever you want to call it in their church where some saint is buried, and they in essence worship. That, those remains we don't have any remains to worship because our Savior did not see corruption right, according to the word of God he didn't see corruption yes he died but his body never began to decompose and after three days and three nights in the, in the earth in the belly of the earth he rose from the grave you know, I was listening to something the other day about uh, it was how to biblically, what was it, how to biblically overcome or deal with trauma in our lives. And it talked about all that Christ endured during his time on this earth. He was rejected. He was despised. He loved those who were here on the earth so much that he gave his life for them. But at the same time, the ones he loved and was giving his life for were the same ones who put him on the cross and cried, crucify him, crucify him. He was dying for them. And, he, and this pastor said that through all that Christ endured, he died and went into the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He overcame all of those things. But he said, you know, it was only a few days later. And he said to Thomas, put your fingers in the scars in my hand thrust him into my side. He overcame all of the things that he endured, but not without their remaining scars that were left behind from what he had suffered. I thought, you know, that's kind of a profound thought. Because Christ went through so much on this earth and endured such contradictions against himself that mankind, the very ones who he was going to redeem, many of them hated him and rejected him. And after all he went through, died, buried, rose again, but his body, while he has a glorified body, still has the scars from what he went through on this earth. 
you know, we can overcome and, and gain the victory over the traumas that we experience in our lives, but it doesn't mean that there won't remain scars that will be left behind. And probably many, if not all of us, could say, been through some hard things, and there are scars that remain that, that will probably always be there. And they may fade, and they be, may be less noticeable, but they will likely always be there. Sorry, kind of sidetracked there, but... All right, so there are both angelic, demonic forces in the world that we are battling. Well, Christ has won the victory over them, the principalities and powers. God also deals with Christ being over all might, which is the strength of whoever or whatever may attempt to work against him. And then also dominion, uh, that any, any dominion in the earth. If you remember all the way back in Genesis 1, God gave Adam, and you might guess, dominion over all the animals in the earth. Dominion is, is just having the oversight or the control. I guess you could say as far as the, the United States of America, the land that we control, this nation, whoever the powers that be may be, uh, have dominion over that piece of property or Russia or China or whatever. There is dominion there. Well, God has power and authority over all of those. One day this world... Will, uh, there will be one world government. This entire world will sit under the authority of one and say, well, the, the Antichrist, yes, also Satan will be controlling him. Look over in Revelation 19. You know what's so neat about that? Is sometimes people fear, Christians fear, the Antichrist, the tribulation. We don't have to fear the tribulation. We won't be here. We will be gone. And there are many things that the Bible talks about that are going to take place in the tribulation that we read as though we are here for those things, but we are not. So, proper interpretation and, and division, we'll get into that eventually, but not today. Uh, in Revelation 19, verse 11, it speaks about, at the end of the tribulation, something's going to take place. Christ is going to come back to the earth, his second advent, his return to set up his earthly kingdom. And at that time, there will be armies in the world, the Antichrist will be ruling, and Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, tells us what plays out here when Christ comes back. It says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful, and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Faithful and true is speaking of Christ. This is who's upon this horse that is seen when heaven's open. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Amen. Amen. If there's any question as to who was being spoken of before this verse, I think it's pretty clear at this point. Verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You know who that is? That's us. All the saints of God who were raptured before the tribulation began, that have already gone through the judgment seat of Christ and been given out any rewards that were are to be given or were to be given, 
And now Christ is preparing to make his return to the earth to set up his millennial reign. And as he's preparing and he's there on his white horse, what is seen is him. And then behind him, armies of those on white horses with vestures. No, no, it didn't say vestures. It said clothed in fine linen. There we go. White and clean. You may or may not know how to ride a horse. I don't think it'll matter. You'll know that day. All right. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Any guesses as to what that sharp sword that is coming out of his mouth is? According to Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That sword that proceeds out of his mouth isn't a physical sword that he's got stuck in his teeth. It is his word. And you notice what it says? That with it he should smite the nations. No shot will need to be fired. No arrow will need to be sent, no spear, no sword. Simply by the spoken word of God will the armies of this world, will the Antichrist be defeated. Notice what we read over in Ephesians. He is far above, so far above that no strike will need to be made. Simply his word will do all the damage that is necessary. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's our Savior. That is our God. The one who, the day we were born again, we placed our faith and trust in him. And you know, so often we see him as the man on the cross with nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet and the crown of thorns, and we picture him like he's pictured in so many children's booklets, or well, maybe he's not quite pictured like that in children's booklets, at least on the cross, right? Or we picture him the way the cartoons might have portrayed him as kids, or the Catholic, uh, come on, the windows there, stained glass windows. We picture him on this cross, bleeding and dying, but that's not how he's returning to this earth. That's not how he is right now. He is seated, your right, my right, whichever, however you're facing, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father right now. He is, in fact, God. And the time is coming where he is going to return, not as a humble man like Philippians 2 speaks about him, that he humbled himself, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, who will speak the demise of the armies of this earth who have rebelled against him. He will speak the demise of Satan, of the Antichrist, who sometimes we fear. Sometimes man fears. Christians fear Satan, fear the Antichrist. What's he going to be? Who's he going to be? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? I've heard people try to predict who the Antichrist is, and they think it's this person, and they think it's that person, and we're going to be gone. When all that stuff plays out, we will be in heaven. Verses, the second half of verse 22, back in Ephesians. Okay, I pulled my bookmark out. We just read, he's not only far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things. To the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So we understand Christ is the head of the church. Mm -hmm. Ephesians tells us that here. In Ephesians 5, 22, we read several verses there. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Notice down and just point this out, verse 32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I'm not going to take the time to talk about marriage this morning. It's saying that this was written about the church. And understand, a good biblical marriage helps us to understand our relationship to both our church, but also our relationship with Christ. Yeah. I was studying this, and I'd never seen this before, and I called a couple pastor friends because I was like, I don't want to preach heresy, so let's just make sure I clear this up. And, and uh, But as I was reading this passage, it says... He was given, Christ was given, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. We understand that. Colossians tells us that. I think I got it somewhere here in my notes. Uh, it says in Colossians 1, for please, uh, no, hang on, I'm just going to read you the passage. 16 to 20 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, speaking of Christ, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Notice it says the preeminence, not a preeminence. That he might have the preeminence. There's only one who ought to hold the preeminence in our life. And it's not... Christ has some preeminence, but every once in a while I take it for myself, and I because there's some things I like to do and share with him. No, Christ has the preeminence in the right. He's the head of the church. So we know his body is the church. But notice the next thing it says in Ephesians 1.23. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the Bible's telling us that the church, his body, is the fullness of him. That filleth all in all. Brother Jeff said something last week. He said, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be filled with the Word. Right? They're one and they go hand in hand. You can't be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the Word. Well, reading this passage, can we really be as full of Christ as we ought to be if we are not a part of a Bible believing, Bible preaching, New Testament Baptist church? Well, it says, which is his body, the fullness of which filleth all in all. How can we really be truly right for fellowship's sake, not for salvation? How can we truly be right if we're not plugged in and involved and faithfully a part of a church? Uh, Christ wants us to be. He holds the church as quite important 
The Bible says he loved it and gave himself for it. Uh, and he uses the example of a husband and a wife to help us understand that picture in, in terms that we can visualize and see. But that's what Christ did. Verse 19 of Colossians 1 tells us that in Christ all fullness dwells. And then Ephesians 1.23 tells us that his body, the church, is the fullness of him. I think we need to be a part. So, I'm wrapping up. I want to challenge us this morning to be truly thankful for all that Christ has done for us. Not only for us, but in us. If you're saved this morning, you can probably say, you should be able to say, that you're not the same person that you once were. Right? Some of you, I remember before you were saved, and I know you since you've been saved, and maybe I didn't know you super well before, but I can say of the people I know, I have seen change. Not that I have to see it between you and God, but it's clear God has been working. And I'm thankful for that. We should be thankful. And we should be committed and dedicated to, un to give ourselves entirely and wholly to him. He gave himself for us. He died on the cross for our sins, right? I know I shared this last week, but I was listening to some pastors talking, and one of them shared, he was, at a, he was at a preacher's meeting, and he said, and the speaker, the pastor walked up behind the pulpit and started talking, and he said, I want to ask you folks, he said, would you all say that because Christ died for us, we ought to live for him? And they all were going, yeah, amen, praise the Lord, you know, like, when you get a bunch of preachers together, what they'll often do, is hooting and hollering. And he said, well, that's not really what the Bible teaches. And of course it went quiet, cricket, 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 cricket. And they're like, what is this guy talking about? What is he about to say? And he said, the Bible teaches that because Christ died for us, we should die for him. Amen. Die to self. Die to our will. Die to what we want in this life and give ourselves Holy 100%. What Christ wants us to know about, what we're going to learn about in the weeks to come from the book of Ephesians of all that Christ has done for us, all that we have in Him, is the result of what He wrought in Christ. And because of all that we have has been wrought in Christ through the sacrifice and His resurrection, we ought to give ourselves to Him. Prayer for that made sense this morning, and I didn't get lost in the details. But we'll go ahead and close with a word of prayer. We'll have a moment of invitation and then we'll dismiss our prayers. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of scripture and what we can see, Lord. Uh, I know we didn't talk a lot about what we have in Christ. But Lord, what we do have spiritually, what we do have that is of eternal value, what we do have that is going to be fulfilled in our future, and what we do have spiritually now today is all because of Christ. It has been wrought in Him. It's because of the work of Christ, first on the cross of Calvary and then through His resurrection. And Lord, we are thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would not forget or take for granted all that you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would hold as a high priority really the highest priority 
to give you the preeminence in our lives and to, uh, Lord, give you all of ourselves. I pray we would hold nothing back, that we wouldn't retain a piece of ourselves or a part of ourselves for ourselves, but, Lord, that we would truly give you the preeminence in our lives, that we would truly make you king of our lives. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be honest with ourselves and let you deal with our heart and our lives as far as what we might need to change, what we might need to do differently. Father, I just pray that you work in these things. Before I close a prayer this morning, is there anyone that would slip up their hand and just say, Pastor Nathan, I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not 100% certain that one day I am going to be able to enjoy the eternal blessings that God has for those who place their faith and trust in Him. Because I can honestly say that I have done that, that I have trusted Him as my personal Savior. If you're here this morning and that's you, would you just slip up your hand? spoke to your heart about something, do business with them before the day of that. I'll just go ahead and close the door of prayer, and then we'll dismiss our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that it has fallen on good ground. I pray again that we realize all that we have is because of you. It's because of who you are. It's because of what you've done for us. It's because, Lord, you are no longer dead, but you are risen from the grave, seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, waiting for the day. First, where you will rapture us off this earth, and second, where you will return triumphant, as we read in Revelation 19, King of kings and Lord of lords, to set up the millennial reign here upon this earth. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that what we have to look forward to, all that we have to look forward to, of you and what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for the ladies from Church Hill, all the folks from Church Hill, ladies and gentlemen, coming and being a blessing to our church today. Thank you for their work. I'm sure hours of practice have gone into preparing the songs and making the CD, and I know they've taken the time to drive up here, and uh, some of them from quite a ways away, just to be a blessing to our church family. And I thank you for their willingness, their faithfulness, and ultimately, Lord, I thank you for their love for you and their faithfulness to you. I pray, Lord, that hearts have been blessed this morning. We look forward to this afternoon. Pray bless our, the food to our bodies, bless the fellowship next door. And Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Everybody get up and start talking to ones. Service is over. You don't have to whisper anymore. <laughs>